Uh, just a couple of announcements this morning. One is the Easter egg hunt is coming up. So I know we need a lot more eggs. I don't know, maybe like 5,000. <laughs> How many do we need, Caitlin? About 5,000. So uh, we need a lot of eggs over the next few weeks. There's a work day on April 8th, and then the actual Easter egg hunt is April 15th. And we need candy, candy and eggs. So two uh, really big needs there. Um, if you're new here today, we'd love to get to know you better. There's a visitor table out, out front that you could stop by after, after this service is done. Also, on the back of your bulletin, there is a tab uh, that you could fill out, and we'd love to get to know you more. So let's continue singing. You are good, you are good. Um, and that's why we're here today. And we are here to praise God, to remember his goodness uh, to remember his love for us. So let's just, uh, let's sing with all of our hearts. Good Sunday morning, Creekside. My privilege to be with you today. I feel like uh, uh, this is one of my home away from homes, if you will. I know many of you from Days gone by, uh, we've been connected through a variety of ministries, uh, one of which is Emmaus Bible College, uh, another is uh, a camp called Coronis in uh, Minnesota uh, that I grew up going to for years and know some of you from that connection, uh, also Iowa Bible Camp uh, and know uh, many of you from that connection as well. Uh, it's a privilege to be with you today, you need to hear me say that. It's my honor and privilege to be with you, to open God's Word with you to continue uh, our series, your series, in uh, the book of 1 Peter. I bring greetings, by the way, uh, greetings from a variety of folks, uh, surely from Emmaus Bible College. Uh, we want to say thank you for those that, that you continue to send our way. Uh, we have a, a long history uh, with this local church. Uh, your name has changed over the years, uh, but the people haven't, uh, and so we have a long history uh, many of you have been to Emmaus. Uh, some of you are currently attending Emmaus, and many of you will be coming in the coming days. Perhaps you don't know that yet, but I know it to be true. And so we, we love the, the relationship we have with you, and greetings from, from Emmaus Bible College. We thank you for your ongoing interest uh, and support of the college. 75 years, by the way. We just celebrated our 75th year uh, at Emmaus Bible College, celebrating God's faithfulness. And we're excited to have the privilege to educate and equip learners to impact the world for Christ. Uh, that's the heart of our mission, for God's glory, to educate and equip learners to impact the world for Christ. Uh, as you know, we're a fully accredited institution of higher education, offering degrees in preparation for ministry as well as the marketplace. Uh, we do have some new brochures I brought. If you don't already know enough about us, uh, please take one of these. It'll tell you who we are and what we're currently offering. And again, another way to connect is by visiting us at emas.edu. Some of you know my dad, Dave Glock. Uh, he sends his greetings as well. Uh, uh, many, uh, many dear friends here at Creekside. And, and dad said, be sure to say hello uh, to the saints. So hello from dad. Also, my dear wife, Katie, uh, sends her greetings. We have two children, uh, Anna Catherine, Anna Kate is 10, and Jonathan David is 8 years old. And 
uh, hello uh, from them as well. We have a dog named Wrigley. Hello from him as well, if you'd like. Go Cubs go, right? Invite you to turn, amen. Invite you to turn in your Bibles if you haven't already done so or on, on your phones or uh, tablets to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Last week you were reminded, I'm sure, that we have been commanded to suffer. Isn't that encouraging? We have been commanded to suffer. And we're going to see today that that really is part of our heritage. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are blessed to suffer. I remember, maybe you do too, I remember a song uh, from an album, if we can say that still, by a lady named Amy Grant. Anybody remember songs from the loft in Amy Grant? I'm dating myself a little bit, that's all right. Uh, And she sang a little uh, chorus that went like this. I won't sing it, and you're welcome, but it went like this. Life is hard, and it might not get easier. Life is hard, and it might not get easier. Anybody familiar with that reality? The Christian life is a tough one, and we shouldn't be surprised by the suffering and the challenge uh, that we encounter. We're supposed to. And last week you saw that we're commanded uh, to suffer. This week we're going to be challenged to see if we're actually living the way we are supposed to live. I had a class in seminary uh, entitled Spiritual Life. Very creative title for that class, don't you think? And in that class, I had a professor named Bill Lawrence. He over and over and over and over again would say this phrase, and I wanted to start with it. He would say this, We shouldn't live like we used to be because we're not who we used to be. We shouldn't live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. We see that theme in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. This is a a very much a similar passage, a Romans 6-like passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 through 6. And we're going to be challenged to be reminded today who we are in Christ and how we are supposed to be living because we indeed belong to him. Let's pray and ask God to help us as we open his word together. Father, we thank you for this time together, and we pray that you would take away distractions. We live in a a world full of busyness and, and distraction, and sometimes we miss what it is that you would have for us. So, so take away those distractions this very morning. We would, we would ask and pray. Father, we would ask that you would teach us whatever it is you want us to learn. Father, if we need to be encouraged, encourage us. If we need to be challenged and convicted, we ask that that would occur as well. We pray that the Holy Spirit, he would do his job in illuminating your truth, that it makes plain and clear sense to us. May we see it clearly and may we respond to it, we would ask and pray. Father, we commit this message to you. May it not be my words, but it may, it, may it represent accurately your word. And may we respond appropriately to it. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. The story is told of a young soldier. A young soldier in the, the time of Alexander the Great who was standing watch, on guard, on duty, and his job was to 
uh, be on duty through the night. And the responsibility of this young soldier, much like these young men here in the front row, the responsibility of this young soldier was to stay awake, was to stay awake and be on guard and make sure uh, no enemies approached. And as the, uh, the night went on, this young soldier was getting tired, was uh, struggling uh, to stay awake. Uh, the reality is that if he fell asleep, his life could be taken. A seriously, serious responsibility for such a young soldier. And he was falling asleep and, and nodding off on duty. And, and he was uh, awoken by someone shaking him on the shoulder and saying, Excuse me, sir, uh, what is your name? And the young boy responded and he said, Like yours, sir, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great, having awoken this soldier from his slumber, said these words, If that be your name, Alexander, either change your conduct or change your name. Either change your conduct or change your name. This young soldier represented in name Alexander the Great. And yet his conduct was not in accordance to the conduct and character of Alexander the Great. Verse 1 says this of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, Peter challenges us, as he's already done so, to think about who Christ is and what he has done. Verse 18 of the previous chapter, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, he reminds us of the reality of who Christ is and what he has done. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, he uses the, a term to follow that's a, a military-like term, uh, and he, he speaks to us as if we're, we're soldiers, and he says, arm yourself. Arm yourself also with this same purpose. Arm yourselves with with this same purpose. Here's the cause. Here's the mindset. Here's what we need to, as believers, be thinking about in regards to who we are today, now, in Christ. We're supposed to think this way. In Romans chapter 6, it's a familiar passage, I know. It, it tells us first to know, in verse 3 of Romans 6, in verse 6 of Romans 6, and verse 9 of Romans 6, no, no, no. Get it straight in your mind who you are in Christ. And then later it says this word, reckon it to be true or consider it to be true. This is the same concept that Peter mentions here. Arm yourself, reckon it to be true, consider this to be your standing in Christ. This is how we ought to think about ourselves, Peter said. Arm yourselves also with the same purpose. What are we supposed to be thinking about in regards to who we are in Christ? What are we supposed to arm ourselves with now in regards to the way we do life and think about life? He says this. Arm yourselves with the same purpose, the purpose of, of suffering like Christ has suffered. And he concludes verse 1 by saying this, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 
Now, what do we know for sure that isn't saying? It's not teaching perfection, this side of glory. It's not teaching that, that those of us who are in Christ will never sin again, although it's true that we never have to. Because we're dead to sin and alive to God, so every time we sin, it's because we choose to. Think about that. And read Romans 6 to remind yourself of that reality. And that, that is the case here as well. What Peter is really saying is this, that if we are considering who we are in Christ and behaving the way we ought to, sin would be, will, will not be a reality in our lives. It will not be a way of life. It really won't even be present in our lives. Uh, much at all. Why is that? Because we're making decisions to say, I'll think the same way Christ thought. I'll, I'll live the same way Christ lived, and I will be willing to, to suffer. And so as he concludes verse 1 and transitions into verse 2, he says this, he who has suffered, those who suffer in the flesh, in our bodies, there won't be a whole lot of sin evidence because we're thinking and living the way Christ thought and lived. Does that make sense? Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he has done, how he has suffered, and we're supposed to arm ourselves with the same purpose and mindset. Last week you were commanded, in chapter 3, we are commanded to, uh, to suffer. And here that practically is, is fleshed out, if you will. We are supposed to suffer. And when a believer says, I will live as a believer should live, there will be suffering and there shouldn't be as a way of life sin. Look at what verse 2 goes on to say. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. It's a great verse, isn't it? Verse 2, it says, listen, no longer should we be living the way we used to be. Because we are, are not who we used to be. We've lived that way for a period of time, but that period of time has, has come and is gone. And so now, because of who we are in Christ, we should be living differently. There's a clip I came across not, not long ago. It talks about uh, uh, who we are in Christ. You remember the quote I mentioned from my prof earlier on, uh, uh, in seminary, he said, we shouldn't live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. And I think we have this clip for you, and I want you to think about who we are this morning in Christ. Who we are in Christ. Who am I? Am I what I do? An artist? An accountant? A teacher? A mother? Or am I what I've achieved? An honor student? An MVP? A winner? Am I the things I've done right? Or am I defined by the things I've done wrong? Am I a saint? A sinner? What about what others think of me? Am I all of these things? None of these things? Who am I? How I identify myself determines how I approach life. If I am what I do, I'll always need to do more and achieve more to find my value. If I am what others say, I'll always try to please people instead of my Heavenly Father. But if I listen to who God says I am and embrace His identity in me, I'll find the freedom to live out all He has planned for me. God calls me His child, 
He says, I am wise and restored, that I'm a brand new creation in Christ. I am chosen and holy and blameless before God. He calls me his masterpiece. I am loved by God. He says, I am made complete through the grace and mercy of Jesus, my Savior. And when I see myself the way God sees me, I walk with confidence because I trust the one who answers the question, who am I? Paul, as well as Peter, really desires for the believer to recognize, to understand who we are in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. In these verses, Peter is desperately trying for us to realize who we are in Christ. Arm yourself with this mindset, with this same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of his time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Now that we are in Christ, now that we understand who we are in Him, we are no longer to live for the lust of the flesh. We are no longer to live in a desire to to please ourselves, but rather to say, what is it? What is it, Maker? What is it, Creator? What is it, God, that you would have for me to do? There's a great movie, I'm sure some of you have seen it over the years, entitled uh, The Princess Bride. Do you remember The Princess Bride? Anyone? Anyone? The Princess Bride, and there's a a couple of uh, characters. Let me remind you of them. Uh, One is uh, a princess, uh, and another is a, a farm boy. What was the farm boy's name? Wesley. Thank you for coming today. So we have farm boy Wesley and we have uh, the princess, and they are in, in like with one another, uh, if you will. It's obvious to all except to them. And so they are having a, a quarrel, a spat, if you will, and the princess assists farm boy Wesley down a hill. And he's rolling and somersaulting and tumbling, and as he's doing these things, there's a declaration that is made. Three words. Does anybody recall what he was saying as he somersaulted down the hill? These three words. Say them with me if you know it. As you wish. As you wish. It's the same mindset the Lord had in the garden. Not my will, but but thy will be done. And it's what Peter says at the end of verse 2 that that we are supposed to be living according to the will of God. And that should look different than we used to be because we are not who we used to be. And again, it's Paul's desperate desire and Peter's desperate desire for us to, to realize in our minds first, cognitively, and then personally, emotionally, that I am dead to sin and alive to God. I need to arm myself with the same mindset and purpose. That is that I am supposed to suffer while I'm on the planet. I'm not supposed to be living for self any longer and pursuing the stuff of this world which competes for the allegiance we owe only to the giver of all good things. 
so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, the rest of our time on the planet, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Look at what it says in verse 3, continuing this this thought. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Time has already occurred where you were living a particular way pre-Christ, before you were in Him, and as a result, dead to sin and alive to God, crucified now with Christ, co-crucified, identifying with His death, burial, and resurrection. That time is gone. It's come and gone. There's no longer time, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued, of course, of of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Believers are not supposed to live this way, Peter is saying. There was a time when you were a certain way, but now you're no longer that way. So we should not live like we used to be because we are, we are not who we used to be. We can't change our name, but we should, surely can, can change our conduct if we're not living in sweet, in harmony with what a believer ought to look like. And Peter is saying there's no room There's no room for a believer to be living this sort of way. And he identifies all sorts of of sins that that, uh, are identified with the the lust of the flesh. Verses 1, 2, and 3, the first half of our section, really challenges us to think about who we are in Christ, what God's will is for our life, and that is to suffer, and how we ought not to behave in how we ought to. And when we embrace it, when we accept it, when we say, I want to be God's man, I want to be God's woman, guess what we can count on? Suffering. Isn't that a delight this morning? When we say, I want to be God's man, I want to be God's woman, I want to be God's person, we can expect and we can count on suffering. But when we are living the way we are supposed to live, there will not be as a way of life these sinful habits. Shouldn't be the case for believers. We're being reminded this morning that we're not who we used to be, so we shouldn't live like we used to be. The old is gone, the new has come. This is who we are in Christ because of who he is and what he has done for us. There's going to be a reaction to this. Remember last week, perhaps, that we were encouraged to to be ready, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us when people say, what's going on with you? What's wrong with you? Why are you living so differently? We have have a milkman at home. Do any of you all still have a, a milkman? It's a beautiful thing. So on, on Wednesdays, on Wednesdays, Jimmy shows up. His dad, Jim, was our milkman for years. But now Jimmy uh, has taken over the business. And Jimmy shows up every Wednesday and gives us our milk and half and half and eggs and whatnot. Uh, it's a treat. And we could buy them at the grocery store, and we still do. But we continue this service because it's an opportunity to interact with Jimmy. 
And there was occasion where Jimmy said to, to me this. He said, John, what is wrong with you? And what is wrong with the Glocks? You all are different folks. And I really want to know what's going on. I want to know why you're different, why you live the way you live and act the way you live. Is there any chance that we could go out for lunch and you could tell me about the, the difference? Tell me about why you're living this way. And I said, Jimmy, you know what? I'm really too busy for stuff like that. I'm joking, folks. I'm joking. What a great opportunity. Jimmy says, tell me, in essence, he was saying, tell me about the hope that is within you. Tell me why you're different. There was a reaction. There was a reaction. And Jimmy saw a difference and asked, can you tell me? Shared the gospel with Jimmy. Jimmy hasn't trusted Christ yet, but Jimmy is sharing the gospel uh, with his family and those in the Catholic Church of which he's uh, is, is his heritage. He said, you know, this is what I was told. This is jo what John tells me. Here's the gospel. And so he knows it cognitively, and one day we trust, he will trust uh, personally in the, the saving work of Christ. Sometimes people will come up to us and say, why are you different? They're supposed to be asking. Let me ask you this question. Is anybody asking? Is anybody noticing? Are we really living differently? Peter writes here and he's saying, listen, for a believer, arm yourself with this mindset, with this purpose, suffer just like Christ has suffered, and when you do, there, there won't be a whole lot of sin evidenced in your life. We won't be perfect, that's coming in glory, but we surely can live sanctified lives where sin is not a, a normal part of our behavior. This is the will of God for us. Enough time has gone by already for you to live that way, especially when you were uh, not in Christ. Now that you are, you're supposed to be living differently. We are. He says in verse 4, there will be another reaction and response from people. Listen to what they'll say. In all this, they, those who are living this way, this is their normal lifestyle. These are lost folks, by the way. In all this, they are surprised. Some believers were behaving this way too, don't misunderstand. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses or dis dissipation, and they malign you. You see the two reactions from those who are living this way as a norm? It's their, it's their lifestyle. This is what we can expect from them. Two things. Two things. Did you see the first? In all this, they are surprised how you run. I love that the phrase is, is used that way, that you do not run with them into the same immoral lifestyle. They're shocked by it. They're surprised by it. The word surprise there uh, conveys the idea of strange behavior. I was at a conference uh, Yesterday and Friday night here, here in Des Moines at Grace Church, a youth conference called Ignite, a great event. Some of you uh, were there as well. And yesterday there was a group called 321 Improv that performed uh, comedians. They do a great job. And they were involved and they had stuff for sale. And one of their t-shirts simply had the word weird on it. And uh, they, they encouraged that, that reality for believers that were supposed to be Weird. Now, I'm, I don't know what you think about when you think about that word. 
But the reality is that, that this is saying that we are supposed to be strange in our behavior. That they will see us and be surprised that we are so different. That's one of the reactions that we should expect, anticipate. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same manner, in the same excesses and dis dissipation. The second response is even worse. Not only are they surprised by your strange behavior that you're not behaving like them, but they also will malign you. It's pretty strong terminology, isn't it? That they will not only see you as different and acknowledge your behavior as strange and surprised that you're not running with them in the same way, but they also will malign you and have things to say about you that are harmful and hurtful and against your very person and character. You know what? We should expect that. Peter's saying that. If we're going to obey and be individuals who suffer, as we see in chapter 3, if we're going to put on, arm ourselves with this same purpose, that we will suffer now while we're on the planet and no longer live for ourselves, we should expect folks to think that we're strange and different. And we should anticipate that they would malign us. Have you ever had that happen? Have you noticed that we live these days in a culture of absolute chaos? And have you noticed how it's infiltrating the mindset of the church and young people in the church? It's a very challenging thing these days to be an individual, a believer who says, you know what, I think that is absolutely wrong. And I think that is absolutely right. It's a not a popular thing to be a person who says there is a certain way that a believer is supposed to live. And Peter is writing here as well as Paul does in so many other passages. And he's saying it does matter how we roll. It does matter how we run. It does matter how we live. And when we live the way a, supposed, a believer is supposed to live because we recognize that that we are not who we used to be, and so we don't want to live like we used to be. And when we live the way we're supposed to live, they should be asking, what's up with you? Give me a, uh, a, an answer for the hope that's within you. But they also will say, you strange. You're different. Surprised by the way we live, but they also take it one step further, will malign us. I know it's spring break, so I know many are traveling. I know some were in Kansas watching some basketball. Have you noticed the colors of Amy Johnson's scarf, ladies and gentlemen? Any Cyclone fans among us? So you're going to have to take this by faith at 1118, but I used to play a little basketball. I used to play a little basketball. I played other sports better than I played basketball. But I understand the game, and I understand that, that there's a, a, a defensive measure that a post person or any uh, player can, uh, can embrace, and that would be taking an offensive charge. You know what's supposed to happen there? 
If you're going to get the call uh, to go your way, you have to be standing, stationary, not moving at all. So when the offensive player comes your way and charges into you and you fall sometimes dramatically these days, but you fall, they blow the whistle and it's an offensive charge. You as the defender know what's coming. You know what is on its way. And sometimes you have the temptation, the tendency to want to do this. Step out of the way. Did anybody watch the NBA All-Star game? Maybe not. That doesn't get a lot uh, of attention these days. But a guy named Steph Curry was uh, uh, on defense. There was a turnover, a breakaway. And so he's between the nets and this offensive player coming his way. And you know what he did? Instead of taking the charge, he lied down, laid down. Comically, no doubt, wouldn't do that in a real game, but he wasn't willing to take the charge of this big man who was free and ready to bring it. Peter writes and says, listen, you need to be ready to take what is going to come your way as a believer. What's coming your way? They're going to be surprised that you are so strange. Different. Are you different? Are you living in a different way? Are we living in a different way where we say, you know what, this is what God's word says, and this is how we are supposed to conduct ourselves while we're on the planet. I know the pressure, and you know the pressure, how, how subtle and significant this culture tries to squeeze us into its mold. Are you shocked these days how believers are saying yes to so many things that Scripture says no to? Does that take you by surprise? It's not supposed to be that way. We as believers are supposed to together, together say we're in. We're in. We're all in. And we're willing to suffer. And we're willing to live like we are supposed to live uh, while we're on the planet. Next week, you'll have a, a message that talks about the fact that we can't do this alone. We're supposed to do this together. We're in this together. He concludes this section by saying, listen, here's what's coming for them, and here's what's coming for you. Here will be the reaction of a pagan culture, of a pagan world, and of those living uh, carnal lives. Here's how they'll respond in twofold fashion. Be ready for it. Be ready to take the charge. Be ready to take the charge. And they will malign you. But then he says, guess what? Their judgment's coming. Do you see it? Verse 5. But they, they will give an account. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living, those who will be living, uh, perhaps when he returns, this is referencing, and those who have already died, who haven't trusted in him. All generations, all people that haven't trusted in him will be judged. That can be an encouragement to a believer who is uh, maligned by those who are lost, by those who think we are strange. Their judgment's coming one day. I gave a seminar yesterday. The seminar title was this, a question, which throne will you stand before? Which throne will you stand before? The theme of the conference was eternity. 
And so I wanted to talk to some who would gather and say, listen, in eternity, we know the future of everybody. Isn't that great to know? You know the future of everybody. Everybody will either stand before the great white throne judgment as lost, as unsaved people who reject it and never received the free gift of salvation, or all believers will stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ. Which throne will you stand before? Read Revelation 20 as it describes the great white throne. It's a sobering reality, and it describes what Peter has just said. There is ultimate judgment coming for those who are by way of life this way. So they may malign you, and they may treat you as if you're different and strange, but realize what is coming for them. Divine and righteous judgment. But for you, Realize what's coming for you as well and what some have already tasted and seen. He says this, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. Who are they? Martyrs. Here's the deal. The gospel has been preached. The good news of the gospel that Christ died for our sins, was buried, rose again, and was seen that we can be saved through faith. The gospel has been preached so we can trust in Christ and become new creatures. When we say yes to him, we are co-crucified with him. And the old is gone and the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ. We are in him we are dead to sin and alive to God. All those things are true because of the beautiful truth of the gospel. It has come, and when the gospel came in and, in and through the person of Christ, death was abolished, and life and immortality was brought, light, brought to light through the gospel, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1. For this reason, verse 6, the gospel, the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. So there are people who said yes who said yes to the good news of the gospel, and not only that, who said yes to suffering, suffering to the point of death for Christ's sake. Amen? And he references these people and says, listen, these people have done it. You're being called to do it in this section. Are you willing to be who you are in Christ? Are you willing to suffer? And if you are willing to, realize you will not live as a way of life sinfully, because you'll be living a sanctified life, having the mind of Christ and realizing who you are in Christ and living as a believer ought to live. And there are those who have gone before you who have done so. Those who are dead, <coughs> that though they are judged in the flesh, that judgment is simply the fact that they died. Physically, the wages of sin is death. We die because of sin. That's the reality, and that happened to these folks. They died physically already, these martyrs. That, the, that is the judgment that is referenced. They are judged in the flesh as men, yet, look what it says at the end, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Ha, ha, ha. According to the will of God, as you wish. As you wish. So our question, as we close this passage, and as you anticipate the reminder of the body of Christ and how we're supposed to do life together. This is really hard to do alone. 
And so Peter moves into, in the next section, we need one another to do this together. But as we close, may we ask these questions. Are we willing to say to our great God, as you wish? Are we willing to say to him, I will mind myself, I will mind myself, I will take on the mindset, I will arm myself, rather, I will arm myself with the same mindset that Christ had. I will be willing to suffer. And if people respond and say, you strange, if people malign us, we realize that's what comes for being someone to someone who is sold out for the cause of Christ. We shouldn't live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. As believers who are saved and sealed, we can't change our name, but we can change our conduct if necessary. So may this passage challenge us to take a good hard look. Are we willing to live the way we are supposed to live as those who are in Christ? Our Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your help Help us to remember, even as we will have the occasion to do so even now, help us to remember who we are in Christ. That when we identified with his death, burial, and resurrection, we were co-crucified with him. The old is gone, the new has come, and may it be that we are willing to say, as you wish, I will live as I am supposed to live. I will no longer live for my flesh or for pleasure. Father, we live in a world that bombards us with that. And help us to be willing to say, I will live the way a believer is supposed to live. Father, may we, may we realize that we, we shouldn't live like we used to be because we are not who we used to be. We thank you for the great change that has occurred through the finished work of Christ. And may we live like that change has occurred. We ask these things in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.